Uh, Des Bryant. Let's chat about him a little bit for the uh, NFL. And Des Bryant tweeted out late yesterday that he will play this year, but, quote, I just have to take care of me first, gave too much love, and not received at least half back. I will play ball this year. Just might be a little bit later in the year. We will see. And Des Bryant has had meetings in Cleveland with the Browns, some interest from the Patriots, but that seems to be a closed door. Baltimore Ravens offered him a multi-year deal weeks ago that he turned down. Where does Des Bryant go? And I wonder for him if there's a case that maybe it's waiting for an injury. Maybe it's waiting partway through the year and he comes in. But how much of an impact is he really going to be able to have if you join a brand new team midseason? We talked about that with Deron Carter going to the Argos with Dwayne Ford a few minutes ago. Got to learn the playbook, get comfortable with the playbook, chemistry with the quarterback, settle into a new city, new situation. How much effect is Des Bryant really going to have with not even one preseason game? Like, I would have thought at least he would have joined a team by now, get your feet wet in the fourth preseason game, get going for the regular season with whoever. Like, Philadelphia was had some injuries. I thought, well, maybe he'd, he'd jump with the Eagles. He wanted to stay in the division to play against the Cowboys. That was when he first got released from Dallas. That was his main objective. Didn't happen. Like, there's a lot of red flags with Des Bryant. Uh, the Washington Redskins couldn't use him for a year. Like, there's got to be. It's there are some similarities between him and and the Deron Carter situation because just as a talent wise. He can be useful. Not as a number one anymore. Dude hasn't had a thousand yard season since 2014. Not as a number one, but would you like Des Bryant as your number two or number three receiver? Hell yeah. In that case, sure. To rely on him as your number one? No. And a team like Washington, man, they're, Alex Smith, you just paid him a whole bunch of money. Give him a toy. Doesn't seem to be any interest there. So we'll track for Des Bryant, one of the more interesting offseason. NFL storylines there. Let's get back to our Twitter poll for a sec. At AndyMC81, at TSN 1050 Radio. We tweeted out, who would you make the next captain of the Maple Leafs? Who would you make as the next captain of your Toronto Maple Leafs? Is it Austin Matthews, John Tavares, Morgan Riley, or no captain? Morgan Riley has gained a percentage point since we went to break. He's up to seven. Producer Joe Narsa, are you surprised that... Matthews is dominating this poll as much as he is. 47% to Tavares, 27 I would have thought it would have been a bit closer. I, uh, I thought Tavares would probably get the nod here just because he's a Toronto boy, comes back to the city, he's older, he was a captain, he's more you know long-term, more successful since he's been in the league longer. Knows you know. what to do. Yeah, yeah. It just it's it's interesting that as much as you thought the you know the factors for the Toronto kid coming back July 1st and making this such a spectacle would have been huge. Yeah. It's clear that Austin Matthews is still this city's number one guy because still beloved. Ultimately, no matter where he's from, whether he's American or not, Austin Matthews is the Maple Leafs' player from day one. So He's, he's their best player. Yeah. Well, I, right now, I would say he is not. I would say John Tavares is their I, best player. I, I don't know, Joe. It, de- it depends how they're how they're used, right? Like, we saw Tavares with an uptick last year, but the previous two years was a bit of a, a downturn on a very bad Islanders team. Right. and you That's gotta, what I want to see this year. You also got to remember, like, for a lot of the seasons where John Tavares 
put up 80 plus points. He had finally found they found a winger for him that was able to score a couple of the years with Matt Molson and then without yeah. him it wasn't the same and then he came off that knee injury in the Olympics so for 2 years it was a little bit of a return game for Tavares and last year finding Barzal was a breath of fresh air for Johnny T because he had a player who could play with him, who could score, who was skilled. He got back on track, and he's got that now in Toronto. Exactly. And Mitch Marner, other than the goal-scoring capability, I think Barzal's a way better shot than Mitch. Tavares is going to play with a player that has the ability to think the game on his level or maybe even a higher level because when you watch... You know, be a key Marner, setup, man. Yeah. yeah, things Marner do on the ice, almost he's kind of a play ahead of everybody else, and that's how creative he is. And that's only going to get stronger as he progresses. Like He's still a very young NHL player, Mitch Marner. And so you have that with Tavares, and then you sprinkle in Matthews, of course. I think you look at the two players, and you could say that Matthews is probably, I would say Matthews offensively, is a better player than Tavares. Just because I think he's more explosive and Mm -hmm. he has the ability of... He could be a 100-point guy. You could see it in him. Absolutely. But I think all around, on the whole, John Tavares is the better player than Austin Matthews right now at this stage of their careers. I mean, projection-wise... I give you that. Probably more complete. Yeah, like, right? and this is a knock on Austin Matthews. Like, I, I, People ask me all the time, I project Matthews as being the second best player in the world. You can tweet at Joe Narsa TSN. Uh, his take is he hates Austin Matthews. That's, that that's what I'm hearing. That yeah. is not my take. We can tweet that out there. Oh, man. You are the Skip Bayless of reiterating my opinions. We'll put quote, Joe Narsa, I hate Austin Matthews. We'll put it on Instagram. We'll get like a really shady picture of myself standing in front of like a brick wall with like... With a like a Tavares like you're doing a Islanders boomerang, jersey. yeah, a boomerang of like no, Say, <laughs> and just like Matthews is bad, setting a Matthews jersey on fire. Yeah, and just I'll like, be why? on Jay and Dan, like guys, I'm telling you, I didn't say this. Uh, Joe, I told you not to burn that jersey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't listen. <laughs> no, but it's it's something where what I'm most excited about with the Tavares signing is one, you get the talent, but the main thing is teams now cannot just focus on one line. You can't. You have to account for two full lines. Tavares' line, Matthews' line. Oh, you're right down the middle. By the way, Nazem Kadri's a back-to-back 32-goal scorer. you got that to deal with on the third line. This is going to be such a fascinating story. But the captain, the captain issue, that's why I voted for Morgan Riley, Joe. I voted for Riley because now you don't have to choose. Riley's liked in the room. He it seems to have good rapport. Right, he's a very good player. He's your best defenseman. And so you take it away from a Matthews Tavares conversation and make it, hey, Morgan Riley. And then it's, oh, well, now neither of them are it. And you don't have the star power controversy. And when we say controversy, it's, it's to the outside, right? Like it's to fans and media that it's a controversy. Inside the locker room, they may not care. They may not care at all. And that's where you look at it and think, all right, how much of an issue is really Matthews Tavares? Where, like, like I said, Joe, you put it on Riley, you kind of diffuse that whole situation. Yeah, that's true, but you're probably igniting an even bigger bomb in oh. that situation because, for example, the offense is going to take care of themselves. So, yeah, okay, the captain of the Maple Leafs, say he's on, say it's Matthews or Tavares, they're going to answer questions about the team in general, but there's going to be no hypercritical critique of the forward units or right. how they score. Morgan Riley, if he was captain, he'll get questions like, you know, do you want this decor to be better? Do you guys struggle because you're not good enough? Do you feel like you're the only one out there considering the other D-men aren't playing as well? 
Why are you guys laying up Freddie to dry? I mean, he immediately rips off the seat and just sticks just it on Tavares. Just says, you know what? No. I'm good. Take this, Johnny. Oxy. It cuts it in half, gives it to both of them. <laughs> and hold on. We, we need to focus on the problem at hand here. You mentioned your buddy who's worried about who's going to take the cup first. Oh, yeah. That's when the, the Leafs issue. win the Stanley Cup, do you really want Morgan Riley having it first? No. I don't care. I just want the, the cup. But, okay, but that's your lasting image is Morgan. Like, I mean, I love Morgan Riley. Don't get me wrong. Dude, because Barry Kaepernick like you hate could Morgan be Riley, the first Keith. person to lift the Stanley Cup, and I'd be happy. I still think it's Wendell. We'll go to, go back to, the, to go back to the Joe Bowen idea, you have Wendell Clark, the empty jersey behind Mike Babcock, and then when they win the cup, Wendell gets to hoist it first. If, the, if we put out a poll right now, who <laughs> would you want to lift the Stanley Cup first for the Maple Leafs? And we put, like, Matthews, Tavares. Wendell. Wendell Clark. <laughs> And like anybody else, Wendell would take it away. Like That'd be they, amazing. But he'd have to play in the game, and he'd have to scrap somebody. What, like that's what a the nonsense! Rules. What a nonsense situation that would be. It's like, and from the stands, Wendell Clark comes down, and it's not even in the game. Wendell, come grab you the trophy, and, and then Wendell comes down. He takes his jersey off of a coat hanger, slips it over, goes on the ice, and takes it. The the city would be very pleased with that. Would be. We found our next poll for tomorrow. <laughs> That's it. That's the poll for tomorrow. Can we do that? Who would be the... Okay, so Tavares, Matthews... Wendell. Wendell, and who else? Are we, are we going to choose another legend? No, I think you got to just stick with Wendell as the legend. Okay, so then we got... Or like Larry Murphy. No. Boo. Poor Larry Murphy. He's, Poor in, Larry. he's in the Hall of Fame, and Toronto hates him. Yeah, and he won a cup. Two. Like, imagine if you could get Larry... Two cups back-to-back, actually. If you get Larry, like, comfortable, you know, out... And I just wonder, you get him talk on the Leafs, and you like, those stinking Leaf fans just, just buries us. Yeah, the guy he the guy couldn't get into a bar in Toronto, and he doesn't pay for a drink in Detroit. I mean, it was a year difference, and apparently he wasn't good enough. No, and then he's fine. Yeah, who would be the other guy? On I that? mean, you could choose Babcock. <laughs> you could say Babcock, Kyle Dubas. You think Babcock just does it? Like he walks in and he goes, it's "Mine now." He goes, "Okay, everybody, move over there, move over there, just get out of the way, get out of the way." I mean, we need good people, and I'm the good person here, and just lifts it up. I think if it was Lou Lamorello, everyone would just stand around awkwardly, and he would just slowly go onto the ice. Tell two guys to like lift it and just hold his hands up. Yes, and place it that's in his what hands. I picture as well too. That he wouldn't even people, hold it. Yes, he would get like a big goo, like yeah. a big goon to like <laughs> lift it up for him in a black suit with like a black dress shirt, black tie, and then he would just point at it. Yeah, it'd be like, Jimmy, and he just holds it, and then Lou oh, walks away. Now I wish Lou was still here. I know, but maybe Dubis. Remember when he freaked out winning the Calder Cup? Like up that with the Stanley Cup. Maybe you put Kyle Dubis in there. I still think you're right though. I think Wendell would win it. He would be a runaway freight train at like 96%. <laughs> All Wendell. Like Matthews and Tavares <laughs> would vote for themselves on our poll, and then everybody else it. would vote for Wendell to Tavares, lift that baby. Tavares would be like, I wore the pajamas. Yeah, because of Wendell. <laughs> You're because welcome. Because of Wendell. On Twitter, at Germs Roke, fascinating Twitter handle, says Matthews is going to sign an eight-year extension, so he is a Leaf for the next nine years, and he'll be playing at a high level throughout the deal. He's... The captain. So Jeremy Roke, and it's TM. He trademarked his own legal name. That's something. So Jeremy says it's Matthews because he's going to be here the longest. He's the star. Sign him up. That seems to be the popular take. 47% Matthews, 26% Tavares, 20% no captain, 7% Morgan Riley. So, Joe, your, your vote is in third at the no captain idea. And I think if you go with that option... That's fine for this year. Then when Tavares settles in, next year at some point you got to do it. Like, and, and I, I say got to do it more for the fans, I guess, because as a team they don't have to really do anything if they don't care. 
but then it's getting a little bit long, right? Then you got to go for a captain. If you do the three A's, that's for this year, and then we're going to have the same conversation next season, right? Yeah, I I think you're right. There's certain teams in sports where being the captain or being the outwardly kind of franchise player that everybody knows is the leader of the team means something. And for the Maple Leafs, being the captain of the Maple Leafs is something that not a lot of people have done. And it's a historic franchise. And don't get me wrong, I'm not downplaying the fact that, you know, for the Montreal Canadiens, it's the same thing. And for the Boston Bruins, it's very similar as well. So going longer than they are without a captain, it's not something that I think they would want to have. Because you want to get it right. And think about this. Don't you want the taste of the last captain being Dion Phaneuf out of your mouth? Like, can I get another name up there, please? Yeah, and and it's going to be... It's interesting because... Dion wanted to be the captain of the Maple Leafs. He did. And, and it ate him up. And there was a great story that Ron Wilson told once where he said, Ron you know, Carberle and uh, Kubina had walked up to him and said they wanted to be the captain of the Maple Leafs. And he said, okay. He brought them over to the 1964 Stanley Cup team. And he goes, okay, name me four guys. And they right. couldn't. And he said, until you know what this organization's about, you can't be the captain of the Maple Leafs. And that's something that... Then Dion overheard it, Googled it on his phone, and Dion was like... Dion <laughs> was like, um, that's uh, uh, Bobby Bond. Bob, Bobby. But... Johnny Bauer. I think that's something even Kyle Dubas was explaining, and so did Babcock, that this this is about something more than just a letter on your chest. So for me, the one year is to A, make sure that you don't get the backlash, because then it seems like the organization made the right choice, they waited. Yeah, it's this negative. Yeah, because, okay, for example, you bring up Phaneuf. Yes. If you were to give John Tavares the captaincy right now... Wouldn't that be the exact same situation? It would be a, a case of this guy just got here, and we can't forget the Bill Waters story. Like Bill Waters has told me this story personally on the air, going over how Dion Phaneuf and he just buries Brian Burke, buries him, of like that Phaneuf fought like some guy four inches shorter than him, and he's like, "Yep, that's the guy." He's like, "He beat up a little guy," <laughs> and then just gave him, gave him the captaincy based on that. That's Bill Waters' story. That's how I became the captain of my basketball team in grade three. <laughs> Joe, Joe elbowed little little Mickey or somebody yeah. and just smoked him. Junior basketball captain, baby. JV. JV squad. Joey Narsa. <laughs> a five, a four eight shooting guard <laughs> from Etobicoke. Yes. Oh, I have the distinction, I still believe, in my public school, Woodland Centennial, of being in the first round of uh, cuts for the basketball team in consecutive years. It was set at... Uh, Five years. Five years in a row. First round of cuts. Can't dribble. You're the Cleveland Browns. Can't dribble. You're the Cleveland Browns of high school basketball. Browns have just been stuck in your... They've been in your blood since day one. That's true. But then, (laughs) in grade nine gym, we had like... We we took shots around the arc, and I made like nine three pointers in a row. Just re- just like remember from the uh, uh, was it old school? And Will Ferrell's doing the contest, and he just like blanks out, and he just answers all these trivia questions. What doesn't know, That was me. And the and the gym teacher said, "You need to try out for the basketball team." And I said, "I really don't." <laughs> and your career went straight downhill from no, there. No, I left on top. I left as a legend at Dumbarton High School in gym class, and there you go. And that's why. We need a new captain for the Toronto Maple Leafs. We'll make sense of it later on. Talking Blue Jays, like 1240, with Gregor Chisholm, MLB.com, Jays reporter. Up next, though, talk a little hockey history, some trivia. Mike Camito, author of Hockey 365. That's next here on Toronto Today. Who would you make the Maple Leafs' next captain? Matthews, Tavares, Riley, or no captain at all? And, of course, 
you can tweet in your own at TSN 1050 Radio, at AndyMC81. Still to come the show, Gregor Chisholm from MLB.com, Blue Jays reporter. Let's talk a little hockey history. Very interesting book, author of Hockey 365, Mike Camito on the line. Mike, how's it going? Doing well, Andy. How about yourself? I'm doing well, man. And listen, this I love daily trivia, daily story stuff, so this book falls right in line with me. Uh, tell us a little bit about Hockey 365, uh, short hockey stories for every day of the year, including leap years. Is that right? That is right, yeah. So technically, I guess it's actually, I should be calling it Hockey 366, but obviously right. it doesn't have the same ring as, as Hockey 365. But yeah, in essence, it's a different hockey history story for every day of the year. So, you know, I spent the last year or so working with Thunder and Press to, to come up with what I, what I hope are 366 uh, interesting little nuggets from hockey history. Uh, so again, one for every day of the year. Uh, it actually comes out uh, September 8th is the official release date, but... Uh, but uh, it's actually in stores across Toronto. So, again, which many of your listeners are in that area, you can pick it up at the GTO locations uh, uh, for Chapters and Indigo uh, pretty much anywhere now. Nice. And now, in, in this book, there are some very rare nuggets. Like, this is great, I, I would think, picking up this book and then being able to use it with your buddies out at the bar watching the Leafs play or something, right? There's a lot of Leaf trivia in here. Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, I've made no secret... Uh, any of the readers who followed me on Twitter or read any of my work previously that I am a Leafs fan through and through. So obviously, uh, you know, I've taken some great care to ensure that there are some Maple Leafs moments. But obviously, you know, I know that not all the readers are uh, you know, support the blue and white. So I had to make sure that I, I kind of spread out the ice time to other teams and other players. But yeah, there's certainly the Maple Leafs loom large uh, in the account. And, and one of the very few times that I kind of insert myself into the narrative, I try to kind of take a step back is, is, a, is a Maple Leafs moment as well that I think a lot of uh, maybe the Leafs fans more recently could could relate to. And Mike, when you look at the the, the trivia, how far back do you go? Because I know you have it all the way up to uh, John Tavares signing with the Maple Leafs on July first. But how far back does this trivia go? Yeah, uh, so it, it'll go back into the 19th century. I had moments there from 1875. Uh, you know, when they were still playing uh, when they when they played the first indoor hockey game in Montreal. Um, and so there's some other moments from the 19th century as well where, you know, we talked about when the first set of codified rules about hockey were published in the Montreal Gazette. So you do have some moments that obviously precede the, the formation of the NHL in 1917. But, you know, outside of those, I think, uh, those first moments that go far back, uh, most of the book does focus on uh, the NHL. So from 1917 onwards, uh, and then obviously there's a lot of moments, I think, from the, the post-1967 expansion period as well. In conversation with Mike Camito, hockey historian and author of Hockey 365. Mike, when you're doing the research for this book, what stood out to you? Like, what, what story or couple stories stood out to you? I was like, wow, this is, this is really interesting or something I didn't know. Yeah, so I mean, a lot of the moments, they'll probably resonate with readers who are, you know, fans of the game or, the, you know, they're maybe amateur uh, hockey historians in their own right. Uh, but there's definitely some quirky ones in there that kind of, you know, that they'll stick out to readers that, you know, maybe may not be familiar with them. The one that obviously comes out to me is uh, there was a story that I came across uh, where Gump Worsley was in net and a fan had thrown an egg at him. Uh, it hit him in the head during the game. And obviously, at this time, he was not wearing a, wearing a mask. And, and, you know, at the end of the game, they interviewed him and you know, he had to leave the game. And he didn't think it was that serious of an injury, but it turned out that he did have a minor concussion and it actually kept Jeez. him off the ice for, for a few weeks. And so I always, I always kind of look back, and that's what I always leaps out at me just because, again, the idea that that could have happened, and, you know, certainly the always thing I think about is, you know, it was a soft, it wasn't a cooked egg, 
But if it was a hard-boiled egg, what would the results have been? Would he have been out longer? Maybe he would have bounced off him. I don't know. But uh, it's certainly one of the more quirky moments in the book is, is again, the time that the Gumper got egged. A egg in a concussion from an yeah. egg? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and now, I understand there's a lot of Matt Sandin trivia in here, Mike, and uh, we're talking Leafs captains today. We're debating who should be the next Leafs captain. Of course, Sundin did it very well for a very long time. Tell me a bit about uh, Sundin's impact in this book. Yeah, so there's definitely, uh, he definitely has a few stories. Um, you know, it goes back to when he was drafted first overall in 1989 by the Nordiques. He was the first uh, European-born player to be drafted first overall in the NHL entry draft, and so I focus on that a bit, and then we also blockbuster trade that brought him to the Leafs uh, that sent Wendell Clark out, but brought Sundin in, and then ultimately just mentioned captains. Uh, the last time that I have in there is when Sundin was made uh, Maple Leafs captain on September 30th, 1997, and again, that was the first Canadian captain uh, to wear the C for Toronto, um, and again, I think that story itself kind of speaks to uh, the globalization of the game at that point, because still, even in 1997, which is not that long ago, uh, you know, that, that title of captain was still usually reserved for, for Canadians. Uh, we've obviously seen that shift in recent years, but again, that was, uh, it was a noteworthy moment for the, for the Maple Leafs and for, uh, for the sport of hockey and a global perspective in the NHL. Yeah, decade-long run as captain with the Maple Leafs for yeah. Matt Sundin. And Mike, before we let you go, fact of the day, because in this book, as you said, 366 short hockey history stories. Do you have a fact of the day that you can share with us? Yeah, so I believe today's fact was when uh, the NHL reinstated uh, two players that had been expelled from the league uh, for gambling. Um, and so, we, and this was decades later, of course, by this point, um, their hockey careers had all but ended again. The, the ban or the expulsion that they had precluded them from playing, you know, amateur hockey at, at any level because of the affiliation that those leagues would have had with the NHL. Uh, so this is around 30 years later in the, in the 70s. Um, they are brought back in. Uh, one of them, and I forget his name, it's I should have written this down. Uh, he did resume, uh, I think, a scouting position with the Penguins. So he did kind of rejoin uh, the league. But the other gentleman, uh, you know, he never never rejoined the NHL. And so it's, that's that's one of the stories, again, that's kind of a, a weirder, quirky one as well because certainly uh, it's, it was a noteworthy story back in the day because, of you know, this is on the heels of the – the Chicago Black Sox and all of that stuff. And so obviously the league was, was keen to crack down on, on gambling. Uh, and it obviously handed out a pretty stiff fine to those two players. Yeah, but the NHL forgave where Major League Baseball, you know, Pete Rose still out, the, the Black Sox scandal, as you said, not so much. Uh, Mike, yeah. great, great stuff, man. Really appreciate this. Tell people again where they can pick up Hockey 365. Yeah, so you can pre-order it online uh, at Amazon or Chapters, but if you are in the Toronto area or the Ottawa area, actually, for that matter right now, you can buy it uh, at Chapters and Indigo locations. Uh, just check online and find out if there's stock. Hopefully there is, and hopefully you can pick up a copy. Good stuff, buddy. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you, Eddie. Appreciate All right. it. Mike Camito, hockey historian and author of Hockey 365 on Twitter, at Mike Camito. Pick up the book, Hockey 365. Be the smartest hockey fan with your buddies. Go out. You can... Tell them hockey trivia and stories all day long and make them feel stupid. Isn't that what we all want when we're out with our friends? I like it. Mike Camito, 1240 Gregor Chisholm. We'll talk some Blue Jays. 7 nothing got shut out by the lowly, terrible Baltimore Orioles. Kendris Morales' home run streak came to an end. But more importantly to me, the waiver trade deadline coming up, August 31st. And not that I'm expecting anything of note for the Jays to pick up. But will Josh Donaldson get traded? And if he does, does it matter? Does it, is it going to be any sort of interesting 
return or just some prospects that yeah, maybe you hear of in three or four years. Bring in producer Joe Narsa. Joe, Blue Jays with Josh Donaldson here. Like, I, what a turnaround from the start of the year where it's like, wow, Donaldson's going to be great. And if the team sucks and we'll trade him, we'll get a whole bunch of stuff. Now it's like, maybe you'll get like an A ball prospect with some upside with a wild arm or something. Like, there's just, there's really nothing that exciting I think you'd get in return if you get anything at all. Also, I don't understand this concept that he's going to come back and play like 17 games. Everyone's like, oh, you're right. Now you're worth $25 million a year. But then it's too late, right? Isn't the deadline Friday? Well, yeah, but like the conversation as well is like he's trying to get back so that he doesn't lose any money, so the Blue Jays have an opportunity to trade him. Well, guess what? I'm pretty sure every general manager in the MLB is smart enough to know that by him playing three games does not make him A, more valuable, and B, make him a bigger contract in the offseason. No, they'll be like, oh, okay, well, he's been out since, you know, uh, May and can't stay healthy. So you get nothing. Or you get a guy who Jays fans will never hear of again. That, that's what I hate about baseball in the one sense. I love baseball, but the one thing I hate is when you get you hear these trades. It's like, Jimmy Joe from A-Ball, and then you never hear of him ever again, ever. And he's gone. Yeah, and not to mention, like, okay, if I was a general manager in the MLB and had the opportunity of getting a former MVP who yeah. was rehabbing, I, if I'm in trade talks, I would be like, you sit him. I don't want him to play for you guys. Right. I don't care whether it's double-A, single. I don't trust you guys no. because he got hurt two years in a row. So he's not allowed to play if you want to make this trade with me because then once you acquire the player, then you can continue his rehab and make sure he's healthy yeah. for you next season. And see what happens. And really, like, I would be surprised if, if Josh Donaldson doesn't get dealt because if you're a team, you know the Jays are in have zero leverage here. You can get him for nothing, and man, you know what? You pop him on the bench if he gets injured again or, or isn't up to speed or game shape or whatever. Oh, well, you lost, like I said, like a, a nothing prospect, likely. And at the height of it, what a payoff you could get. Like, you could have, for a playoff run, Josh Donaldson maybe off the bench. That's pretty good. Like, if, if you're a, a GM, make this deal, because the Jays at this point... If they get anything, they have to be say, okay, well, it's better than nothing. Well, yesterday, Steve Simmons was talking to Gareth, and he brought up a good point because he said, well, realistically, where is Josh Donaldson going to fit into this Blue Jays lineup next year? Because the third baseman come April is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Yeah. Okay? He's not playing the infield, shortstop or second. That's not happening. And at first base, you're going to pay a guy $20 million that you don't trust instead of Justin Smoke at, like, what, $6.5, $7 million right now? Yeah, and... What's the benefit to you long term in a rebuild year? Exactly. So re- to your point, yeah, you're probably gonna get Joe Schmo in single A who can throw 93 miles per hour, has got good K rate and all that stuff. But realistically, whatever you get for Josh Donaldson is gonna be a plus and an upside at this point because you have no other, you have no options. No. And if you bring him back or you qualify him, nobody's gonna take him for a first rounder. No. Because of the qualification, the qualifying offer, so that's not happening. So, at this point, the Blue Jays have to decide whether they're gonna cut bait or they're gonna hold on to him and continue like this, you know, roll into mediocrity with a bunch of players nobody knows about. Right. And but the, the point is, some team could get a steal here if Donaldson comes back and is even even contributes at any level. To a possible playoff team. Like, there is 
tremendous upside, and the Jays have no leverage. That's that's really where we're at. We'll go over it with Gregor Chisholm, see if he's hearing about anybody else maybe getting dealt. What we can expect. like it's, If it's just prospect stuff, I guess that's where you're at. 2019's the down year. We know the stud prospects coming up, right? And then if we are to believe Blue Jays management, they did say this year was to be a wild card race year. That so far from the truth. But if we're to believe Jays management, 2020 is go time. Not a rebuild, it's a retool. Okay, I'm I'm down with that. But I also don't know how much I can trust this Jays front office with really since the second playoff year, you got older and slower when you needed to get younger and faster. You trot out this group and say, okay, well, if every single thing goes right, and if every single thing goes wrong for everybody else, eh, we'll be in the wild card hunt. No. False advertising. False advertising. So if that's the plan, great. One down year and we get to see Vlad Guerrero Jr. and these young Danny Jansen and everybody keep coming. Cool. But really, I don't know how much I can trust this front office group. This is their team now. This is their go. This is their time. They'll, John Gibbons will be, I'm sure, let go at the end of this year. They'll get to bring in their manager. This is their teardown or retool, whatever you want to call it, and rebuild. So now they are on the clock. Up until now, they've been able to say, ah, Alex Anthopoulos' group, they're kind of going off the coattails of the playoff teams that he built and some pieces here and there. But now Shapiro, Atkins, they are on the clock after John Gibbons goes. They are on the clock. We'll talk about that with Gregor Chisholm and also update our Maple Leafs captaincy poll at TSN 1050 Radio at AndyMC81 as Toronto Today continues next on TSN 1050. Hey. The Leafs are all... Next Tuesday, September 4th, it's the return of Leafs lunch. And also on September 4th, it's the return of Overdrive with Hayes Noodles and the O-Dog. So everything gets kicking going, gets back going. Here on TSN 1050, summer vacation is just about over, man. It's just about over. Labor Day is this weekend. That's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, let's see if the Jays do anything crazy. Huh? How's that for a segue, Joe? Come this waiver trade deadline on Friday. Gregor Chisholm from MLB.com Blue Jays reporter joins me. Gregor, how are you, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, anytime. Uh, so let's talk this waiver trade deadline and Josh Donaldson rehab assignment, the deadline's Friday. Do you see him getting dealt? And if he does, what should Jays fans expect back? I do think he's going to get dealt, and I don't think fans are going to necessarily be happy with, uh, yeah. with what the Jays get in return. I mean, I, I, there's not going to be a big piece here coming back. Um, I think you're talking about a bit of a, uh, like a lottery ticket, wild card type prospect. Um, it's not going to be a package of top guys. Um, they're going to be lucky to get someone that they really like. Um, I, they're not in a position of strength right now, and, and it really seems like you know most teams out there uh, know as well that the Jays are really aggressively looking to get something done here um, because it seems like they want nothing to do with the qualifying offer uh, this offseason. In some ways, I don't fully understand that. In some ways, I do. Um, but this team does not seem like it wants to offer Josh Donaldson an $18 million qualifying offer this offseason because um, there's a good chance that after this type of season that he's had that he would accept that. 
Um, and the only way to, to get away from that kind of controversy and drama of whether or not to offer him and make him the offer or not um, is to get rid of him over the next few days. Um, and you can save face a little bit that way. Um, you know, so uh, you know, I think he's going to be dealt if he's able to prove, um, you know, today that he's fully healthy. Uh, and teams are going to be, you know, have the next 48 hours to, to evaluate him, um, get their waiver claims in. I would think that another team out there would take a chance if I'm a contending team and I've got a little bit of money to spend, I'm taking the risk there. There's no doubt about it. I mean, we've seen what an impact bat this guy can be. I don't care if he's only played in a handful of games this year and only has five home runs. Um, he's one of the impact guys that can really um, help turn the tides for your team uh, over the next month. So uh, if I'm a team, I'm going after that, and I would expect him to be gone by Friday. Well, and Greg, to your point, to avoid this qualifying offer, because if we're all correct and that Vlad Guerrero Jr. is going to be up at the end of April next year, well, he plays third. So the question is then, are you putting uh, him somewhere else? Are you putting Donaldson at first? Like It just seems like there's a whole lot of unnecessary confusion in a year that has been stated is going to be a retool or a rebuild season, right? Yeah, absolutely. My my only counter argument to that would be, what are you going to do with the eighteen million uh, if you don't spend it on Donaldson? And, and to be honest, I, I would take even a bit of a hardball stance with him. I'd say, before I offered the qualifying offer at the end of the year, I'd say, you know, if you accept this, um, you know, in twenty nineteen, we're going to move you all over. Vladimir Guerrero's coming up here at the end of April, so you're going to play a little bit of third base at the start of April. You're going to play a little bit of first base. You're going to play a little DH. He's going to, you know, we're going to play you every day. Uh, but you're going to have to move around a little bit. And I think that would add even more motivation for, for Donaldson to try out and go out there and find another deal. And maybe he does come back on on that type of situation where you have to move him around. And to me, I think that would be okay because what else are you going to do with that $18 million? Now, the, the downside to all this, I do realize that there are some risks for the team as well. You can't trade a qualifying offer player until June. So your, uh, your flexibility is gone for a little bit. And then you're essentially paying... Um, eighteen million dollars for a guy that you're, you know, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna flip at the deadline. Um, but to me, uh, I, I just like the idea of trying to do everything you can to protect what assets you have. And to me, uh, Josh Donaldson, there's no question, he's a diminished asset right now. Uh, but I still think he's someone who could turn into an asset. But you know, I, I don't think that's the direction they're going to take, though. You know, I, I really think that if a, if another team out there sees something in Donaldson over the next uh, 48 hours on his rehab, and if he's actually able to play, because I still have some doubts uh, as to whether or not he's going to be able to get through this week. I mean, we've been waiting for this guy since uh, you know the, the, since May, uh, yeah. and there's been multiple setbacks along the way. They're obviously trying to force the issue here. Uh, but there's also no guarantee in my mind that, that he's you know absolutely certain to get through these next 48 hours and actually um, be able to go onto the market. But if he does, uh, I would expect him to move. Well, the other side of it, too, there, Gregor, is if you have Donaldson back under that scenario and you're moving him around, then you also have another expensive guy in Russ Martin that you're also going to be moving around yeah. and looking where to, to put him with Danny Jansen up, I guess, right? Yeah, and, and you also got other complicating factors like you've got Kendrys Morales, who you yeah. know, at first is you know positive of storyline as, as he's been over the last seven days. I mean, he's still a guy who is taking up uh, a lot of the bats out of your DH spot, and so and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, this is a complicated situation. That's why I do kind of get it from both sides. I do err on the side of just kind of always protecting your assets, but I do get the counter argument. I mean, it's a lot of money. Uh, it's tying up a position where you where the you know the next wave of talent is coming. I mean, that that spot is is Vladimir Guerrero's uh, from you know the end of April until you know who knows until he proves he can't play that position at the big leagues. I mean, that's his spot. And then you've got Smoke and Morales, and you've got you know Martin. You've got a lot of pieces here, um, and you know Donaldson doesn't fit as much as he does before. Uh, but if you're the Blue Jays and, and, and the fan base, you still have to be 
uh, pretty disappointed, I think, that um, you're most likely going to come out of this situation without much to show for it. I, yeah. I think that's the biggest disappointment thing because you really, you know, you looked at the situation and be like, okay, Josh Donaldson can help jump, you know, jumpstart this rebuild and uh, get a couple of big-time prospects in here. Um, that seems pretty unrealistic at this point. Exactly. And, Gregor, that's, that's the thing Jays fans have to get ready for because, as you said, the Jays really have no leverage. And some team, yeah, I'm with you. If you're a contending team, take a shot. You're going to give up some low-end or, or high-risk prospect. And if Donaldson is even a guy who comes off the bench and helps you a bit in the postseason, it's a plus. Like, there's really no downside to a, a low-end asset trade away to bring in a guy with Donaldson with, heck, if you capture lightning in a bottle and he somehow gets hot come playoff time, well, boy, that's a steal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he, if he came back and at some point in September he became the hottest hitter in baseball. Right. I mean, we, we saw last year, uh, you know, he finished last year on an absolute tear. He was probably the best hitter in baseball over the last six weeks of last season. Uh, and that followed up a, you know, a bit of a disappointing season for him as well because he had those injury problems last year too. And so, you know, we've seen this from him before. Um, and yeah, I just, I mean, those type of players don't usually become available uh, around this time. And we, we saw last year where the Astros were able to pull off a late deal for Justin Verlander and obviously a completely different player. Uh, but we saw what, uh, what Verlander, um, kind of meant to that Astros team. And, and Donaldson could mean that, uh, offensively speaking as well. So if you put him on a certain, you know, some, some certain lineups, I mean, it completely changes the dynamics of that. And, and, um, yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see where that goes because despite the layoff, you know, Josh Donaldson's bat is so good that, that it wouldn't surprise me at all if he came back and became a major factor in, in the postseason run. Right, and almost similar, too, to a, a Jay Bruce deal that the Indians made last season, right? An extra bat. And again, as you said, the upside for Donaldson at his peak is much higher than any of the other guys listed. But it's all about adding that extra little bit of depth, weapon, whatever, to playoff team. So we'll see come Friday. Now, Gregor, is there anybody else that you think is going to move for the Jays? There's, there's some names we've gone over before, but are you feeling anybody else gets, death, uh, gets, gets dealt? And, and really, again, should we be expecting a similar type of return like the Jays would get for Donaldson? I, to be honest with you, I don't really see much else happen. Uh, I mean, they've been trying to trade Curtis Granderson yeah. all month. Um, nobody's, nobody's bid on that. Um, and unless the, the Yankees have uh, you know, a last-minute panic about Aaron Judge and needing some insurance there. Uh, you know, I really don't see something happening. But uh, and, and you can say the same thing about some of the other guys. I mean, Marco Estrada was somebody else the Blue Jays were hoping to get something for. Um, and he's looked awful in the last few starts, and he clearly isn't healthy. Um, you know, he admitted that after his last start, but the back's still an issue. Uh, so to me, there's no contending team out there that's going to that's gonna risk that the way he's looked recently. And, um, you know, and then there are other guys like Justin Smoke, a guy who's cleared waivers and, and could, in theory, be moved. But that's a piece that the Jays would actually want something, you know, decent in return because uh, they still need a first baseman next year. He, he's at a, he's on a very affordable contract. Um, you need to be in, you know, you need some incentives in order to make a move there, and, and that's not really the type of move that you know a lot of teams I, I think are willing to make at this point in time of the year. So I'd expect him to stay put as well. And then you know maybe somebody maybe somebody takes a, a wild card shot at uh, you know Tyler Clipper to become like your sixth inning reliever or something like that. I would be surprised with that on that as well. Uh, but. I, Whatever trades the Blue Jays work out beside Donaldson and probably even including Donaldson isn't going to get you much. I mean, if, you, if you're dealing Curtis Granderson, I think you're essentially giving him away at this point. Um, so I don't really think that you know, there's much of an asset uh, coming back in return. It's just going to be a piece that, you know, that the Blue Jays might hope one day becomes a, a bullpen option or an optionable guy down the road that just becomes a depth piece.
Right. Again, more depth to the minor league system. And yeah, like yeah. if you get, I, I guess, Gregor, the, the thought might be at this point with again, 2019 down year, try to come back in 2020 and then 2021, you know, you keep, keep going is that if you get 10, one works out at the big league level, that, that type of thinking, I guess more, more just add in bunches and see what you get down the road. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about building. Inventory. Yeah. I mean, if, it's one of those situations where you could have 15 scouts in a room and one guy, you know, uh, speaks out in favor of them. It's almost like the draft in a way. And then, yeah. you know, the, you know, the general manager, the front office gets together and be like, okay, we're, we're going to take a shot in your guy. Um, and you know, sometimes those, those, when we've seen time and time again, those can work out. And so, uh, you know, there's some value there. Uh, you know, I'm, if I'm the Blue Jays, I'm looking to move everybody uh, on an expiring contract. And if you can get, uh, you know, a lottery ticket in, in Class A, then uh, and that one guy in your organization likes, and then you take a shot and, and see what you have over here. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But absolutely, it's all about it's all about compiling assets at this point, even the even the low level ones, and and just kind of hoping that that something turns into into a bit of an asset for you. Well, Gregor, enjoy the rest of this uh, thrilling Baltimore Orioles series, the 38-94 Orioles against the Jays. Oh, boy. it's uh, How tough is it? High-quality like, baseball. <laughs> Gregor, I feel, I've said it before, I feel so bad and have so much respect for Blue Jays, for, for baseball beat writers who cover bad teams. Because, man, like when you realize they're bad, you still have like three months of a season left. Like how hard, just, yeah. just on the way out, how hard is that to be able to come up with like ideas, compelling storylines to write about when really they're not contending for anything? Like that's a grind. Yeah. No, it really is. And this is my eighth year doing it. And, and this would be, you know, I'll, I'll admit it, this is by far the toughest one I've done. And because, you know, when I first started in, in 2011 and 12, that, I mean, the teams weren't very good, but they were young and exciting. And, and to me, you don't have to be a good team in baseball if you if if you're young and exciting and, and there are little development stories that you can follow along. If there's a really exciting young prospect coming up, you know he's going to struggle for a little bit, and so the wins and losses don't really matter, but you're following that development, you're following that potential. You know, that, that hasn't been around this season. I mean, this, this team is old. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been old for most of the year. Only recently has it started to get a bit younger, and so over the last month or the last few weeks, I'd say it's gotten to be a little bit more interesting to me because there are guys like Ryan Barucki and Sean Reed Foley, and you know I think that those are those are interesting stories to me, even if the games themselves aren't that interesting. Um, but there's been this lull for this team where it's just been so many old veteran, to be quite honest, bad players who are still around, and, and you, know, what, you know what are you looking for in a Sam Gavilio start? You're not really reading anything into a Sam Gavilio start because you know he's not going to be a big part of the future. Uh, but guys like Baraki and Sean Reed Foley and you know, guys like Vlad and, and Bo Bichette get up here. 2019 is going to be a long season for this team. They're, they're not going to be good. Uh, but I think it will be a lot more exciting for, for fans and, and, and for media alike just because there's going to be you know, more, more compelling angles and more interesting stories about, about the, the younger guys coming up and just watching how they develop. For sure. Well, Gregor, you're doing God's work, my friend. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Gregor Chisholm, MLB.com Blue Jays reporter, talking about the waiver trade deadline. Yeah, not, it seems like whoever gets dealt, if anybody, for the Blue Jays, not going to be a great return. Got a couple minutes left. Let's wrap up our Twitter poll question here, at TSN 1050 Radio, at AntiMC81. Who would you like to be the next Leafs captain? Who would you like to be the next Leafs captain? Austin Matthews, John Tavares, Morgan Riley, or no captain, go with three A's. Leafs are heading into this season, the third year without a captain. Last time they didn't have a captain, it was in between Sundin and Fanouf. That was for 2008-09 and 2009-10. And before that, it was in between Rick Vai and Rob Ramage. 86, 87, 87, 88, 88, 89. And that, so a three-year stretch has been the longest 
in Leafs history, and they're set to tie that if they don't name a captain. Leading the way in the clubhouse, Austin Matthews, 47%, to be your next Toronto Maple Leaf captain. Then John Tavares, at 28%. No captain in third at 18%. And my vote for Morgan Riley at 7%. A couple of tweets I want to get to. This is a good one from Gary Murphy. A vote for Patrick Marlowe. What do you guys think of this? Here's Gary's argument. He says, not one Leaf would dispute if Patrick Marlowe was named captain. He's well-respected on the team, would solve any jealousy of other players becoming captain for now, especially a new player just joining the team. He would get 100% of the vote if it was put to a vote. Patrick Marlowe kind of falls in a little bit, I think, with my Morgan Riley argument where you're taking the pressure off of the two superstars. Patrick Marlowe. What do you think of that? Marlowe as an option. So that's from Gary Murphy on Twitter. From at Phil Alexander says, Honestly, tough call because I love Kadri. But because it's relatively common that you have to be the best player to be the captain, except for a few teams, I think I would go with Tavares. So we have a vote for Patrick Marlowe, for Nazem Kadri. Uh, Phil Alexander doesn't think it'd be likely, but Nazem Kadri. There was a Jake Gardner vote. Surely that had to be in jest. But a Jake Gardner vote, and then uh, we go through the rest of it where Austin Matthews is the top guy at Toronto Baghead, says Matthews or Tavares. He's picking uh, either or of the stars. Baghead doesn't seem to care. You have uh, Chris Brown on Twitter voting for Morgan Riley. So, oh, and one vote for Carlton the Bear. That was the other one. Yeah. Carlton I the second Bear. that. You vote for Carlton the Bear? Hoisting the, hoisting the cup? Great glue guy. He's been Great through everything. Since and always smiling. One. And he's always smiling. Always smiling. Positive. He's Funny cheering. story about Carlton the Bear. I work at a hockey store part time. Right. And the Leafs uh, came in, whatever. They won some like award as the store. So they gave us some tickets. And Carlton was cashing somebody out. And he looked at me dead in the face, went into the till, took a 20, and tucked it in his jersey. What? And I was like, Carlton, how could you? No. And he looked at me and he did the money sign, like the men's own money sign. And he walked away, but then he like threw the money in the air, like joking. No around. way. He I, kept it. No, I, I swear. He, he gave it, it back. He gave it back. That's amazing. Okay. Carlton is well compensated by the Maple Leafs, I would assume. Carlton is my vote now because of that. That's awesome. The only thing better would be if he dropped the stunner on you. Shut your mouth, Marsa. He could have. Boom. That'll do it for us. <laughs> On that note, for producer Joe Narsa and Keith Bauer, I'm Andy McNamara. Gareth Wheeler is up next. I'll be back with you tomorrow at 11 a.m. right here on TSN 1050.